Welcome, welcome, welcome to a regularly scheduled interruption. This is the weekly Cortez Virtual Community Meeting. And uh, I'm going to pass it over to Noba for this week's introduction. And hello, everyone out there in Radioland, and those of you listening later um, on the links that get supplied. You are listening live at Cortez Community Radio, 89.5 FM on your dial. And thanks so much to Aton and the whole Community Radio um, cohort for doing this live broadcast. That's great. I know I'm hearing increasingly that although the people who are joining us on the live calls numbers are dwindling, the people who are listening live and um, checking in afterwards uh, continue to be steady, as far as I can tell. So that's really great. Thank you. So this is, I think, the sixth or so in a series of public community town hall meetings that um, I've been hosting in an effort to keep people up to date on a number of things that are happening in the community, mostly in the nonprofit and business sector. This started certainly as a response to um, the shutdowns associated with COVID-19 and sharing with you how the community is responding in various uh, interesting ways. And we had a, a series of breakout groups and updates from housing to the stores to uh, business and tour or the Community Economic Development Association and other community organizations. And uh, what we're gonna start doing as of today for the next handful of weeks is feature a particular topic of, of response. And today we've got Lonnie Taylor and Tamara McPhail with us from the, the Community Economic Development Association and Linnea Farm Society to have a bit of a conversation uh, with us about food security and what those two organizations are up to and what they're seeing um, as a need on the island. Um, but just before we launch into that, a couple of other really quick things and, and some context. Um, but just before we launch into that, a couple of other really quick things and, and some context. We're doing really well in Canada and really well in BC in terms of COVID. Um, I have not known of any confirmed cases here on Cortez. Now, if there were, I might not know of them. They're not being made publicly that way, but um, needless to say, it's not much of an issue, which is fantastic. Uh, there are a huge range of responses that people are having from, you know, ecstatic gardening to, you know, real financial and emotional hardship and um, uncertainty and, the, and everything in between. And so this is really just a, a, a leaning in to find ways of staying connected in these times when we can't see each other in person as much. So the Premier is apparently tomorrow announcing a plan for how we're going to slowly start reopening BC. So that'll be interesting to see. I've talked to some business leaders here on the island around their speculations about the tourist season and um, some business leaders are more, uh, I don't know what the word would be, but optimistic of a quasi-robust tourism season than perhaps I have uh, imagined. So we'll see. Uh, the Gorge Harbor just published um, a piece that they're in not taking any more bookings in the campground or in the various buildings and that their goal is for a 50% capacity. Uh, and we'll do some cancellations if required and uh, speaking with some other business leaders that, you know, they've certainly canceled all of May, but in the summer still holding out. So we may have a much slower summer, we may not. Um, it really depends a lot on what the 
establishment decides in the, in the weeks to come. However, this has been a reprieve from normal, um, whether that is spacious and glorious or, or really difficult. Um, it has certainly been a time out of time, and it has certainly been a time when um, many of our natural systems have breathed a bit of a sigh of relief, and when we've got a bit more spaciousness to be with our own contemplation and our, our family, and often that's really difficult. Um, so by way of, of context setting here, uh, every year the regional district has about $25,000 for Cortez that it allocates to nonprofit organizations on the island. And I bring a recommendation forward to the board and the board usually supports that. There's been some pretty weird glitches the last year or so. And there's a number of people who've been really bugging me for years around participatory budgeting process. Uh, Adam McKenty being the, the most stalwart, and I really appreciate his support in um, encouraging me to actually launch a participatory bu budgeting process this year for the grant and aid. And so that's what I've done. In the last couple of weeks, I've sent out an email to reps from all of the different nonprofits on the island, 20 plus organizations, and invited them all to um, join in a participatory process with me, whether they're submitting applications or not. And so those applications historically range from basic core funding, organizations need $1,000 to pay insurance and keep the lights on. And often these funds are much more flexible than other grants they can apply for. So that's really valuable. Other times there are um, upstart projects. So the grant and aid has gone to really getting the community economic development organization up and off its feet over the years, as well as starting a collective um, fundraising coordination between all the nonprofits, as well as providing core support for a number of years for the augmented home support program that the health association runs to support seniors and people coming back from hospital with, with care. So there's a whole range of, of ways that these funds have supported the community. Um, and I've received those applications and then put forward my best recommendation. This year, what I'm doing is asking that all the nonprofits submit applications to me by the end of this week. And rather than in regular application form that is organization specific, rather in projects. So what is it that your organization would like to undertake at a project level? And if you need some core funding, great, call that a project as well. So organizations might submit multiple of these projects and then Next week, I've invited all of the nonprofits, reps from all of the nonprofits, whether they've applied or not, and really encouraging those who haven't applied to, to participate because it will make the process all the more robust and transparent and credible and all those things. Um, so then the invitation will be to hear each other's pitches, project proposal ideas, uh, ask questions, challenge a little bit, see if there's opportunities for collaboration or is there duplication or other things that are sort of immediately maybe not that supportable or whatever it might be. And then give organizations a week to go back and partner up or um, refine or increase or decrease budget, whatever it might be. And then come back again for a second call, if you will, a collective Zoom call in the nonprofit sector, do your final pitches and then vote. And what I've committed to doing is giving every organization um, a spreadsheet where they can allocate the full 25,000 as they would see fit. And then I'll average all of those and submit that recommendation to the board. Now, 
what the board will do with it be interesting to see. Um, I trust that in that transparent process they would be hard-pressed to not support what the community came up with. And um, just by way of reminder, I said on the call last week, in the community meeting last week, that there had just been a meeting of the, the nonprofit or social profit sector that the Cortez Island Found Community Foundation had hosted to try to find the emergent priorities. And that was a beautiful precursor to that, this process. The four priorities that emerged there from the nonprofit organizations that participated, which were quite a number, were um, how to create processes in this time of COVID physical distancing where the public can really meaningfully engage in whatever community processes, like mechanisms for, for really good engagement. The second was food security. The third was uh, sort of youth well-being, activity, engagement, um, and then the fourth, mental health. And those I don't think were in any order of priority, but those are the four that we're, we'll come up with. So uh, today I've invited, as I say, Tamara and Lonnie to join us and have a bit of a conversation about food security, which is one of those four. And I trust there'll be some um, food security issues that come up in the grant and aid discussion. So welcome. Uh, Tamara and Lonnie. And um, just before we launch into that discussion, I just wanted to offer the opportunity to anybody else on the call. Were there any qu other quick updates you wanted to offer from your organizational or business perspectives? Were there any questions about what I've shared so far before we dive into the main uh, meat and potatoes of today? And a reminder that if you're listening on the radio, you can phone in at 250-935-0200 and Aton is in the radio station and can take your questions or input and uh, and submit it this way into the Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giggling because he's doing pantomime in the background. <coughs> so any other updates or questions about what I've shared so far? And uh, apologies for the kid in the background. I've closed all the doors I have to close. Okay, well, if uh, Tamara and Lonnie, you'd unmute yourselves then, and we'll have a bit of a, a free-ranging discussion. I've got a, a series of, of questions here for you, but they're, they're nothing to surprise you too terribly much. I wanted to start with a link into previous discussions we've had in this meeting series around the food bank. So one of the first calls we raised, what was it, three or $4,000 right on in that call. And then there's been other money come forward since then. I know that there was a, an anonymous donor who contributed $1,000 a month for three months and was looking for a matching contribution, ideally of somebody else of, of similar means. Um, so the food bank, as far as I understand, is well financially resourced for the moment. Uh, there's not been a huge increase in demand uh, so far, but we're still early on in the economic um, impact of, of COVID. But uh, Lonnie, I would like to ask you, seeing as you had some recent communication with the food bank, um, there was some discussion about there being the ability to buy local produce at the, at the stores and hooking that in potentially to local finance. And can you give us any food bank updates as a, as a segue into this conversation? Sure. So right now, it's my understanding that 
the food bank is dispensing gift certificates to three of the four major grocery stores. Um, so that would come with a food basket with the recipient so that they can buy fresh produce, dairy, meat, things like that as they need it. Um, so right now I know that Bertha's the co-op and the Gorge Marina are receiving those gift certificates. And it's my understanding that Desta has been tasked with uh, reaching out to Squirrel Cove General Store as well. Um, and that she's involved in general with outreach and, and making sure any new recipients that need uh, food box food boxes are, are receiving them and, and that sort of thing. And this may well be really early days, but then it links into the local growers conversation. There had been on air, and so I'm not sharing anything that those of you who plugged in haven't heard, there was some early discussion about whether somehow there couldn't be some way of food bank money going back to growers in some kind of um, trial microfinance or micro, not crowdy you call it, local currency. Yeah. Any, any progress on that at all? We are actively seeking funding to research and, and run feasibility tests around models that would be able to do exactly what you're talking about and create a local currency in the form of a like food token that could circulate through um, growers and food bank recipients and uh, it would be a closed loop cycle so the money would um, filter through the food bank and through growers and they would be able to uh, trade it out for the growers would be able to trade out for real cash so it kind of keep circulating um, that's yeah so we are actively researching that and interested in uh, taking it farther so funding is needed and we are seeking a, a multitude of avenues right now but initial funding to get that more long-term funding solidified is definitely a need right now. Mm -hmm. I know there's been various attempts at local currency over the years here on Cortez there was a, a attempt at the let's local economic currency trading system some years back. And I remember somebody taking on a, a little project through Literacy Now. And so it's certainly been something that's been in our collective consciousness for quite some time. Uh, it would be a hoot to see that going. It's a big piece of creating a little local um, society, if you will. So good work on that. So just uh, for clarity, you're on the board, is that right, of the Economic Development Association? You've been on the board for a year or so? Yes, I joined the board in the fall. Okay. And uh, CETA as an organization is, is about a year and a half old um, and formed from Chapada. So that's why it is so young. So it's a renaming of an eight or nine year old effort. Yes, and it's, it's a bit more than just a renaming. It's they've completely changed the mandate. And I know it's still a little ambiguous as to what and who CETA is, but we are... Um, very close to being able to uh, release a platform that would introduce us in a much more thorough way. So we can look forward to that. So how did food security become an organizational focus? And what, so, have, what if anything, have you done in that regard so far? Yeah, so the mandate uh, for CETA uses the LEAP report as a, 
inspiration for where we're focusing our efforts to and leap being leap is the oh shoot, local economic local action economic plan. action plan thank you local economic action plan which was put together by Chibata over the course of about two and a half three years and what's really exciting about that report if you look at it now there are several initiatives that have come to fruition as uh, at, because of the LEAP report and the outreach that was done to establish that these were necessary things the community wanted and needed. And um, it's, it's pretty cool to look at. So if you do look at that LEAP report, you'll see that something that the community has been talking about and sees a, a, a very specific need for is food preservation and food storage facilities. Um, and so this in conjunction with the commercial land that we are entrusted with developing we've started to seriously talk about this endeavor and that's really expanded the conversation into some of the other aspects of the food systems on cortez and how they could you know serve and feed into this process of, of preservation facility and food storage as well as looking at some of the missing parts in our system and and or just you know areas that need bolstering strength. Okay, and uh, just for the listeners who might not know, the commercial land you're speaking of is two acres immediately adjacent to the Manson's Hall. Is that right? Between the hall and what was the old credit union? That's absolutely correct. It's about 2.7 acres and it's also connected to the housing land. Right. Just right. West of it. So Tamara McPhail is the executive director and resident steward at Linnea Farm and uh, works with the Linnea Farm Society. So it might be a more obvious question tomorrow, but I'm gonna give it to you anyway. And how did Linnea come to have food security as a huge piece of what you do? I mean, why not just grow food for your own use or sale? How is it built into the very mandate of what you do? Am I actually unmuted right now? <laughs> we, we can hear you. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I mean, Linnea Farm Society's one of their main, one of our main mandates is education. So it's not just as simple as us doing it just for ourselves, but we look at almost everything that we do through the lens of um, sharing that knowledge with, uh, well, typically as many people as we can get coming to the farm. So it's been, food security's been, um, and education around food security have been made basically the things that I've been doing since I moved here. No, I can't hear you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm muted. There you so, go. <laughs> um, I know you have one public offering that just got posted on Tideline around the Guild. Um, I'd love it if you could speak a little bit about that and how that has arisen as um, the offering of the time. And then anything else that you're at liberty to share that the organization or board is up to um, beyond what you have normally done? Or what are you doing that is normal that's really exciting that those listeners who might not be so intimately familiar with your farm are up to in terms of the bigger island-wide food security perspective, which is height of mind in these times for pe many people, although it's your daily life. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll speak to the first one. The Linnea Farm Food Security Guild was... Uh, the main thing that has come out of all of our brainstorming around COVID-19. Um, it's definitely been something that's been in the works in our minds as we go about our day toiling in the soil and planting seeds and 
being out in the rain and um, just about our reincarnation of, of Linnea through all of the different years and the different stages that we've been in and uh, trying just to determine where we were going to go next. Um, but the, the Food Security Guild came out as an idea um, of what we wanted to offer back to our community. If we started to look at not um, doing our typical workshops that involved a lot and oftentimes a lot of people coming from off island and then we'd have a few island people that were interested and we always made sure that we had funds to support island people coming and learning with us but typically it was off island people that would come uh, and we started to think of that not happening this year and what we could be doing that could have a long-standing impact um, with our Cortez Island community so the Food Security Guild concept was born um, and we put it out there and I think within three days we had about 55 people sign up for it. Uh, and I expected, I expected, you know, people to be interested in it, but, uh, you know, I put out a Google form uh, with a bunch of questions on it and all of a sudden my email was just going bing, 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 bing. And I thought, holy crap, this is fantastic. Um, so the guild, I mean, the guild is, is kind of a permaculture principle um, and serendipitous to this, uh, a lot of people started talking about Sedley Sweeney's uh, original book, the Earmark book that was all based on guild. So I like the sort of, um, I don't know, the tie into our, our, our heritage, our, our Cortez Island heritage a little bit, but, um, you know, for me, when I think food security, it's not just as simple as providing food for people. I mean, it can be just that. Um, but when I think about our island and I think about the people that are on our island, I start to uh, get really excited about collaboration and sharing skills. Um, so the Guild is really that. Uh, right now, we're sort of waiting to see what's going to happen with that concept of opening up a little bit so we can get a little bit more comfortable with inviting people to the farm. Um, but we are really excited about the guild members actually coming and working alongside of us. Um, we're really big on experiential learning and the outdoor classroom. So uh, I think the way that you learn the most is, is by being alongside people that are doing the job. So um, we may not, just because of how we're having to restructure ourselves this year and growing more food and there's just less of us because we're not having our woofers come this year or different people that didn't quite make it out before the, the whole COVID thing shut down. We're relying on ourselves a little bit more, uh, which means we're not gonna have as much time um, to just stop and do a workshop. So the workshop is like, get out, get your tool, come and work beside us and ask us a thousand questions while we're doing this, you know, weeding 500 feet of carrots or what have you. Um, so we're really excited about that experiential learning piece, that whole adage of give a man a fish or teach a man a fish, teach a human to grow some food, I think is going to go a lot further. So back up just a wee bit, people who've yeah. signed up for the Guild, what have they signed up for? What is the offering? Yeah, well, yeah, what is the offering? Or, right or now, the invitation. <laughs> or the ask. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so the Guild is basically uh, Linnea Farm product will be available to Guild members uh, first and foremost. Um, so they, we asked for um, a membership fee and then we asked for an investment and the investment was totally up to them. However much they wanted to put in, um, it wasn't based on like you have to put in $700. It was like you got a hundred bucks, put in a hundred bucks. You can top it up as you go. 
Um, and what's different between the guild and the traditional CSA model, which is the community supported agriculture model that we used to do, is um, with the CSA, you got whatever we wanted to give you. If you had a small, medium, or large share, whatever we wanted to give you, you just had to take it home and deal with it. Um, whereas there's a little bit more interaction with the guild. We actually will be putting out a weekly list with our guild people and they'll get to fill out what they're interested in purchasing and then we'll package according to them so that we won't be giving them a bunch of things that they're not actually interested in consuming. So that's kind of the ask. You get, you pay a, a, a Linnea Farm Society membership fee, you pay a guild, like a guild membership and then your investment. And then when you were asking about the food bank piece, we actually, this was amazing. We put out the concept of, so you have extra funds and you want to support an island person. There's, we're calling it gifting the guild. And it was an option for the people that signed up to actually gift money towards um, somebody that they named or just to go into a fund to support either the food bank or if there's people in need that um, become aware to us. We, we have about $650 in that fund right now just from um, the guild members actually donating for that. And so in addition to being the, the first in to buy food from Linnea, mm -hmm. there's, other, there's an invitation to come and work with you and what are the other components of that? of being a guild member. Yeah, well, we're also going to be doing workshops. Um, they'll have access to our certified kitchen and um, access to seeds, access to meat, access to manure, access to compost that we've been working on. Um, we're going to be revamping our agricultural library, which is this amazing, like crazy amount of books. Uh, guild members will have access to that as well. And uh, Again, it's a new concept. We're just waiting to see where we're hoping to grow it um, with our Cortez Island community. And we're start, we got to start small so that we don't bite off way too much than what we can handle. And have you filled up? You've got enough guild members now or? Yeah, well, we were taking 27 just to start. Everybody wanted access to the vegetables to start with. Like we offered, like I said, vegetables, meat, uh, take home uh, meals um, and a bunch of other things. But everybody wanted produce. So we're gonna start small. Sorry. We're gonna start small this year, uh, right now, and then take on more members as we kind of iron out the kinks. There's a lot of moving pieces to it and it's a lot of new things for us. So we wanna sure. go, we wanna go small to start with. But for those of you who are listening, it, it's full for this year. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, with the 55 people that have already expressed interest. <laughs> You're, you're double. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything else afoot at Linnea that you'd like to share with us that is in any way um, an outreach beyond your your property into the community or, or requests of the community? How can, uh, you said to me on a call a little while ago, ask not how your farmer can support you, but how you can support your farmer. Yeah. release that with me. So what, uh, what do you need from us and what else do you have in the works that you might want to share? Um, I think, uh, what else do I need from you? I don't know what I need from you yet. I'll, I'll ask you as it comes into my okay. mind, but um, okay. I think the things that we're really working on next um, and will probably be coming forward in the grant and aid um, is really about um, the seed bank concept. Um, food security is definitely coupled with uh, seed security and we've been growing seeds at Linnea, well 
I mean, everybody's been saving C. Linnea since before I got here, but um, we've been actively amping up our seed production over the last five years. And um, we're really wanting to do more, more in that realm and actually start a potential seed sanctuary here at Linnea um, to, you know, really care for and uh, reproduce a lot more seeds so that we're also seed secure. That's part of food security. Um, also trying to get our kitchen um, a little bit more stocked so that we can be offering it up for food production, uh, dehydration, smoking, um, getting some more sealing and things like that. Uh, that's another piece. And then there's something else, but I can't remember, but I'll be sure to put it out there. When I need I'm sure there are others. Um, so Bonnie, <laughs> over to you then. What is the economic development uh, group up to that is complementing perhaps some of what Linnea is doing? And I'm noticing that I'm not paying attention to the chat. Um, and that there was a, Andrea, did you have a question or something to share? Before we- I just had a question for Tamara. Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, Tamara, I noticed on your social media account that you're really great with posting pictures and information um, about what you're doing at Linnea, and that's a great educational addition for the community of Cortez. I'm just wondering your purpose behind that or your audience to that, because that would also include people that aren't in the guild. My, the purpose of the social media postings or the education piece? I don't quite understand the question. <laughs> what I gather is that Linnea does um, work beyond the 27 guild members. You're, you're posting so that anybody in the world could read. So you have a mandate still to serve more than 27 people. Is what oh, I'm for sure. Well, yeah. A little bit into that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I don't want it to be like the guild is just like, we're only going to serve our guild right now. Um, we're definitely still really about sharing as much information as possible and we do want to still be able to organize some workshops that will cater towards the greater Cortez Island community in that direction. But in terms of like what we can actually serve um, with the vegetable shares and stuff, we have to start that one small because we're not an unlimited producer. Um, but with the social media and stuff, we're definitely working on some more educational programming um, beyond just the little snippets that you see, um, but we're going to be doing more uh, through the year and a little bit more intensive education, but that's taking us time to get the stuff together. And I'm hearing that that's particularly tricky this year because you don't have your regular woofers and helpers because you're trying to do physical distancing, especially for a few people on the farm that really need that care right now. So yeah. you know, I, I, I acknowledge that that's an awkward bind to be in well it's also you learn right i've got a, i'm a bit afflicted with the silver lining syndrome but um all of a sudden just having us it's been really great to develop we have a lot of time to really focus on okay what do we want to be doing next and how do we want to do this so there's a lot of communication happening alongside us working it's it's been amazing actually we're going to miss the, the young grunt labor come, you know, June, <laughs> July, August. <laughs> yeah, I got my first uh, farmer sunburn today doing grunt labor that I would have rather had somebody else to do for sure. Um, so Lonnie, over to you. And uh, Lala has put into the chat here. So just weave it the answer into your, um, what you share with us, if you will. She's growing some food that, with the intention of donating to the food bank. And so will there be a place to store it come this fall? So 
what's uh, what is CETA up to in terms of food security? What projects do you have uh, in the works? What kind of offerings do you have for the public? Where are you needing our support? Uh, what? Yeah, what's up? Okay. Well, I want to thank Tamara so much because she's been a really amazing guiding force for me to, uh, you know, work with what we can do from CETA's perspective to help with food security and help with Linnea and other farms on the island. So that's definitely driven us to focus in on where it seems that it's needed most. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things in the works with the food storage to answer Lella's question. Uh, those are our, our, our big projects and we want to be calculated with our planning and that's initiated. It's begun uh, the, the research and the planning and that's going to be a process. It's going to require funding and it's probably going to require uh, staffing to take on uh, a, a, you know, major portions of that work. So that is in the works and we are very excited to accept any insight, donations, uh, any kind of financing to get some of these projects off the ground and especially to staff someone to help get those projects off the ground. Um, so the food storage next fall, probably not but I'm definitely interested in looking into some short-term solutions, especially for the food bank. Um, I know I can speak on behalf of Good Libations in that uh, we have limited storage space there, but there has been, we've been able to work with it, with the, the processing of juice to sell for the food bank as a fundraiser. We've been able to fit it in and work it. So I think that there is a possibility for other things like that, um, that we might be able to find temporary solutions for. We're working with small businesses. Um, okay, trying to go with the train of thought here. The major, uh, there's, three, there's three major things that we're looking at. Uh, I'm focusing on finding funding for under the umbrella of CETA. The first one is a food security coordinator position. So I've mentioned stacking a couple times. Um, this idea came from a think tank with Tamara and other uh, leaders in food and those interested in food security on the island. So through these conversations that we've had in breakout groups on these meetings. And uh, that's, so that's where it came from. It became obvious that between the food preservation facility and storage facility planning and coordinating uh, the opportunities for community food plots throughout the island and uh, finding ways to get food uh, harvested on the island and to distributors or to the food bank or processors. These are all parts that we're trying to put together. So the food security coordinator position would be a position that could actually take on that um, liaising between all of the moving parts and initiate uh, some major programs. The first one is something I'm calling harvest stewards right now. And basically the idea is to uh, create a network of people in the agricultural industry that are already working on Cortez as farmhands, gardeners, landscapers, and bringing them together with volunteers that can uh, work, work together to harvest uh, different private landowners' orchards that are going unharvested because 
the owners don't are either aging and not unable or just just it's become so massive and daunting to take on harvesting of some of these aging orchards we have on the island. Um, so this is again something through good libations that we discovered was a big issue. Had at least half a dozen families that couldn't couldn't find anyone to even harvest the food, offering you know the food or money to harvest. It was very difficult. So this is uh, a concept of bringing together a program that would be fun and exciting and community driven to harvest all the excess food that goes unharvested on this island right now and get it to food distributors if it's of A grade or get it to food processors um, if it's not A grade and put it into monetary value that we can then put back into the food bank or actually help perpetuate the program itself. Um, that could stem into other really exciting initiatives around restoring and rehabilitating aging orchards and also installing public food forests. Uh, so this is all inspired by these conversations. Tomorrow's been a big part of it as well as some others that are on the call. Um, the third program that we're interested in rolling out has to do with a, a loan program for greenhouses. Um, and there's a, a variety of different types of scenarios going on on the island, but we have farms that would love to start growing year round or extend their seasons. And we have private um, market garden growers that are on very small scares, scales that would like to um, scale up and start growing year round or expanding their growing season. So looking at a seed grant type of model to help get those buildings built, and then once there is an income coming from the market garden in the greenhouse, the payment can, or the loan can be repaid over time. And possibly if we can get the right funding, some of it might be forgiven, um, you know, different ideas there. So that's some of what we're working on. Um, as far as in relation to the grant aid, uh, we are also focused on business and entrepreneur training. And that's related to a lot of greenhouse businesses or other agricultural or food production or value added food product companies. So there's also something going on in CETA with that as well. So potentially applying for funds for grant and aid to do business training, including for people who are interested in either getting into or scaling up agricultural production. Yeah, a lot of the businesses, potential businesses that are interested in entrepreneurial training or scaling up their businesses and things like that are in that industry on Cortez. Right. Um, so I'm hearing from you then a sort of a garden, community garden, garden for community coordinator, food security coordinator of some kind, island-wide to help connect piece, dot the dots, uh, specifically an orchard project for harvesting and processing and um, the orchard products and then a greenhouse financing project essentially. So those are the three right now. Uh, from tomorrow I'm hearing primarily the guild as well as finding ways of opening up the kitchen and doing further education. So uh, before I drill in with any more questions that's just a bit of the offerings on the table. I'd be really welcome to hear any of you that are on the, the Zoom call with us or anybody who's listening on the radio to um, to either put your questions in the chat or just unmute yourself and ask them 
or if you're on the radio, call 935-0200 and pose them there. So any questions specifically of what you've heard so far from either Lonnie or Tamara? And then we can get into a sort of a larger ideation question, but yes, Basil. If I could jump in and just amplify some of the things that Lonnie's introduced that CEDA is doing. You know, CEDA is taking a longer term view and in addition to all the initiatives that Lonnie has recommended, which are relatively short term, we're also thinking about whether or not some capital applied to food security could make the future of Cortez more secure and in other ways better. For example, in addition to the greenhouse project, there's a small group that is looking at some of these really high tech ways to grow food all year round in essentially shipping containers. Elon Musk's brother is working on that in California, but we've also got a pretty innovative company right here in British Columbia that's a world leader in entirely new forms of agriculture. And this is a little bit longer term and it's gonna require more capital, but those are some of the things that we are hoping that CETA can do with the community investment co-op that we're also working on. So we're looking at aggregating some capital, applying it to some more comprehensive types of infrastructure creating new types of jobs in the agricultural economy here on Cortez that might help you know, create employment for the younger members who might not be able to work in our more traditional industries, at least for a while. And what we wanna do is ask people out there who have ideas for businesses on Cortez, not just in food security, but any type, contact us, tell us about the things you're working on because that'll help us understand where some capital through the community investment co-op could also improve the future of our island. And you're on the board of CETA, is that right, Basil? Yes. Can you tell us just a wee bit more about the, the concept of the community investment co-op and, and what CETA's role in trying to birth that is? The community investment co-op idea has been uh, developed over about the last eight years here in British Columbia. And it was actually developed in the Kootenays um, but there's examples all over the province and there's a small group now that's actually having a uh, collaboration on how we can work with the financial regulators and other compliance requirements to let a broad base of the population invest in things that would benefit the community. So it's local impact investment by a broad range of the society. And what CETA's doing is we're actually investing some money in getting these things started. And um, we wanna be able to offer that to the community both as an opportunity to put some of their capital to work, but also as an opportunity for the entrepreneurs that might come to the CETA sponsored entrepreneurship programs to have the possibility of accessing some of that capital to get some of these new uh, businesses going. So this sounds like a sort of a complement to the philanthropic arm of things that the community foundation is trying, uh, is positioning itself to do so that people can donate philanthropically to the Cortezon Foundation if they don't know perhaps exactly where to contribute in the nonprofit sector, there's some bigger picture collective think happening there. So similarly, if I have some investment funds that I'm not willing to donate, but I want to get some modest return or no return, but not give away. Uh, I can then invest in the community investment co-op generally, and then the CEDA board or the community investment co-op would determine where those funds get invested. I, I can pool them, if you will. I don't have to choose a project. 
how that works. Exactly. And in fact, my previous, I was smiling there because my previous call was on how we can complement the things that are already underway on Cortez, like the foundation. And you've summarized it well. The foundation is more of a philanthropic endeavor and with a longer time horizon. The community investment co-op is exactly as you described. It's more people taking some of their capital that they might otherwise have in passive investments or in the financial markets and seeing it and being and to participate in how it's applied locally in our community. Uh, we've been talking to other places that have had this kind of model working for a while. Salt Spring Island has done some really innovative things with their version of the community investment co-op and, and they've been very generous in sharing what they've learned and we're adopting a lot of their learnings uh, so that we can do it even better here uh, on Cortez, which we will then share with other communities uh, around the world. So for those who might be listening who want to get involved either at an organizational level or an investment level, um, is, is this the time? And if so, how do they get involved? We'd be very grateful for anybody who wanted to help us make this happen. You know, we're realizing in these uncertain times that the CETA ambitions are much larger than our manpower resources. And so we're actually bringing on some paid resources now to uh, do some of these things, uh, people that are part of the CETA organization, but we also need more help and we'd be very interested in talking to anybody who uh, has ideas and or especially can help us make some of this stuff happen and contact any of the C direct directors. You know, you mentioned Adam McKinty earlier, Lonnie's a prominent member. I'm the newbie on the board, but I'd be happy to talk to anybody. Um, and uh, please, we're easy to find and do reach out. And there's a, a, a general email, isn't there? Info at? Info at? CED.ca or? I think it's got an A.ca, but both, I think on the website. Anyway, if, if you would find it and just put it into the chat, I'll, I'll share that. Will do. That later. So there's some questions coming in. Thank you, Basil, for sharing. That's great. There's some questions coming in, and I see that um, there's some on the screen as well. So I'm seeing in the chat um, meant a question to Lonnie, I guess. You mentioned orchards. What other kind of excess food is there on Cortez. Somebody else mentioned there's blackberries in abundance, certainly seasonally everywhere. Um, to, so Lonnie, do you want to share some, your answer there and add a bit more context? Sure. So there's a lot of perennial gardens that were established a long time ago on Cortez and new homeowners don't know what to do with them or they're forgotten or they're just uh, become unmanageable. Uh, asparagus is a really good example of that. I've personally had experience with storing asparagus beds on five to 10 years. Uh, uh, Jerusalem artichokes, potatoes, um, what else did I write? Um, herbs. I've seen a lot of out of control oregano and rosemary. Um, just a couple of ideas. Um, apples is the big one though. The amount, like it, we're talking in the thousands of pounds of apples go to waste on Cortez Island every year. I'm really familiar with it because I press apples at the libations and I've seen how much um, 
apples we've been able to save just by a little bit of networking effort and trying to connect people that are willing to harvest with those that need help harvesting. Um, and I've just visually witnessed complete bounties spoiled under the tree in a variety of areas all over the island. So I, um, apples is really the big one and could be enough just to perpetuate funding. Um, but there are definitely some other possibilities as well as if a, if a public food forest were to ever be installed, there's a lot of other perennial gardening options out there. Yes, Christine? Hold on, I'm trying to unmute you. It's not working. Eitan? There we go. So I'm, I'm on, on audio now. We, yeah, okay. we can hear you. So, no, this was just, I, I'm, there's been a whole side chat happening and um, I, w I just wanted to add a comment or an observation or and, and a, an inquiry that came out of the meeting last Monday with the social nonprofits um, with social profit organizations and, and Eric raised it. He said a number of uh, people who are growing food to sell and he was specifically speaking to the co-op said they've planted far more and there's going to be a glut of all kinds of food um, in come August and September that he doesn't think that um, is going to maybe find its way to the right sources. And so it's just another, um, it's another aspect to what you're talking about with the apples, uh, Lonnie, is as, 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 as is there a way, and here's Linnea with their, um, their kitchen, is, is there a way to begin thinking about um, doing some food processing that can then be you know, canned or however, so that it can be used through the winter through the food bank or for sale. But it just seems like that's another aspect of this conversation that's happening right now is it's not just food storage, it's, it's how do we preserve food so that it's available beyond the, har the, the harvest season. Yeah, I've certainly spoken to a number of people who are growing in excess with the intention of sharing it, gifting it, selling it food banking it, neighboring it, whatever. Um, but there's more seeds going in the ground, I think, than most years. So what do we do with that, Lonnie and Tamara? What, you know, when I've got 200 pounds of extra squash in the fall, what do I do? Yeah, well, that's definitely one of the things that we were going to be putting forth to the Grand Tonight is uh, stocking up of um, processing stuff for our kitchen and offering that up to the Cortez Island community for sure. Uh, and that's part of the education that we would be offering is how to preserve um, the bounty for sure. I mean, we all do it. We've been doing it for, you know, all of us that have grown our own garden. So for those that are new to it and that need the support, absolutely, we'll be able to offer up our kitchen. I mean, there's going to be some fees attached to it because there are costs um, that we can't just offer up for free, I wish. Um, but uh, definitely the kitchen will be available and uh, we're hoping to be able to stock it with some more pressure canners, some more canning pots, uh, and just teaching people how to do that. And so the other, the other point that Eric raised, and I think it's a really important point for all of us when we're gardening and talking about community gardening is do we um, select the food that we're growing that has good storage capabilities? So root vegetables and squash, which are good keepers through the winter, is something that we should all be thinking about in certainly any of the community gardens um, projects that are happening is wise choice of food that we're growing. 
Thank, thank you, Christine. Um, there's another question in the chat here about, are we talking about exporting food? And, the, and then of course, well, what happens about the low wages? I, I haven't heard so much food export. Roy, did you wanna put some more meat to that question? Just when they were talking about containers and things and uh, shipping containers especially was the word he used. It made me wonder about uh, uh, exporting food off the island. And when you start talking about all of this extra food, I also start to think about, you know, our fundraisers, we typically think of music, but we could actually have uh, <laughs> harvest fundraisers for this uh, food bank or whatever and just harvest some. And then could we actually either store it or sell it or whatever. Fantastic idea. Great redirect. Um, Can so I speak to that? Sure. Please, Lonnie. So there, I just um, applied for um, some funding around uh, the delivery aspect of this Harvest Stewards um, program. And this has been a conversation that started far before I showed up around a shared vehicle. Uh, for the island, uh, specifically for food delivery, both export and import, and just on the island. Um, and I, I've gotten some really positive. Um, uh, I've, I've gotten some positive feedback from from possible funding. So it's looking like this is an aspect that I'll be able to tackle soon around uh, trying to coordinate with. All the grow not all the growers anyone that's interested in sharing space in a vehicle and making it an efficient uh, process to bring fresh goods to the distributors as well as the possibility of a, a, a weekly or bi-weekly trip off island that is both exporting food uh, value-added food products and possibly an excess of produce but I'm really based on the numbers I've seen I don't think that's actually going to happen. I think it's more about value-added food products um, because there are food companies on the island that would like to partner together in that effort because it's a huge endeavor going off island to deliver those goods. So sharing the vehicle as well as sharing it to import food onto the island would be a really efficient, beautiful thing. So I'm probably going to be putting together a think tank to work on that possibility because that would tie in specifically to the harvest stewards program because we're going to be collecting a bunch of food and needing to deliver it to distributors and processors um, so it'll it all ties in so i think i'm hearing because I, I know there'll be people who are listening who are interested in, in getting involved or helping out um, there's some people here on the island who have a guaranteed fixed income for a few months uh, and perhaps aren't working as much and might have some energy to contribute or others who find themselves in a, a position of having some extra finances to contribute and are, are really keen around food security. So I would ask both of you, Lonnie and Tamara, if people have either time or funds or other resources, um, how, how should they be in touch and what things are most needed at this time? I think what I'm hearing, Lonnie, is really without some personnel capacity, these are all just great ideas. And so you're looking for a few, a few coordinators, or at least sounds like at least one part-time coordinator, if not more. Um, so if you want to speak to that and then, and then tomorrow next. 
So we're looking for funding, number one. Um, there's definitely energy for the coordinator position and other help. And when we're ready, when we have the funding to, uh, to you know, acquire that help, then we, I think we'll be more likely to get it. Kind of speaking to the wages question with Roy, part of what we're hoping to do as we source funding and as we create a program that is funding itself, we would like to offer positions that offer a living wage on Cortez in the agricultural industry, which is not easy to acquire. It sucks. I know I'm a part of the industry and tomorrow, yeah. So this is gonna be a long process and it's going to be difficult for small businesses to adapt to, but because of the CERB and other possible benefits that are getting rolled out, wage standards are going to increase and it really needs to happen, but I know that it's gonna be difficult on the small business side of things. So we're really ready to be there to help those businesses adapt and be able to offer employees real wages and real, real benefits, real employment and not just um, independent contracting positions. So a lot of the stuff with Harvest Stewards is really playing into that and congregating people and starting to build opportunities and relationships between the agricultural and food industries. Um, and I see in the chat, so the CEDA contact information is cced.ca or info at CCED, so it's Cortez Community Economic Development, CCED.ca, and that will, I gather, either reach you or Adam or uh, somebody to get back to people. Um, just by, by way of, of sort of a bigger picture, what I'm hoping this collaborative budgeting process for the grant and aid, however relatively small that pot is, 25,000, um, I'm hoping that if this process works well, that it can be a, a kind of process that we can engage in either in the nonprofit sector or possibly out to the public as a whole as a way of prioritizing community projects um, and funding and sourcing the funding for those community pr priority projects. Because, you know, if I've got a few thousand dollars in my pocket that I'm willing to contribute, it might be unclear where I should prioritize that. And yet if a community process can help me understand what our best collective think is, um, I might be more inclined to contribute that. Um, I also really profoundly believe that once we get clear as a community, what is priority that the funds and resources will flow to support that. Um, so if this little sort of beta test of the grant and aid thing runs well, I trust that we can do it in other rounds with other philanthropic funds or perhaps foundation funds are yet to be determined. But in the immediate, uh, Lonnie and Tamara, if people are interested in contributing to your respective organizations, both of which are societies and Linnea is a charity, is that right? So Linnea can issue tax receipts, CEDA yeah. not, I think. Um, how do people get money to you to support the good work that you're talking about? And can they make it specific towards a particular project? Yeah, well, you can just send an email uh, to tomorrow at LinneaFarm.org or go on to the Linnea Farm website and there's a, a donate button. There's a contact us button there so you can get in touch with us there. Um, we're not just after your money. We'd love your labor. We'd love to hear some of your ideas. 
um, yeah, we were, we were hoping to work on the seed bank. So if you got some extra boards kicking around, you got some extra energy, uh, let us know where there's going to be a lot of different projects happening in the next little bit. So if you've got some extra time on your hands, uh, we'll definitely help, help you spend that time. <laughs> That's for sure. I also am asking organizations to put together lists of, of um, projects that volunteers could support into. And if we can have a, co a collective list like that for people who do have a little bit of extra time right now, possibly even funded, that they could access. Got a motorbike in the background. Lonnie, do you want to ask that? Yeah, so uh, the email that we've posted for CETA the best way to get in touch if you want to donate and we could absolutely assure that funds are going towards the initiatives that you're interested in contributing to. Um, as far as energy goes, volunteership, uh, there's a couple of places where we could use some support. I'm probably going to be, I am, I'm putting together a think tank around the food delivery um, aspect in a shared vehicle. So if anyone's interested in being a part of that think tank. I see some people on this call that might be. Uh, please get in touch with me. I put my email on the chat as well. Uh, we're also going to probably pretty soon be trying to look for some volunteers that are interested in, in uh, helping with uh, community uh, garden bed development. So getting building beds and helping with that. Um, there, there might be a need for that soon. So that's another place where we could use some help. And in general, yeah, your ideas, uh, innovations, uh, developments based off of what you're hearing, we would, I'd, I would love to get more insight. So please email me if uh, you're interested in having that conversation. And can I offer your email publicly? You've put it in the yep. chat here. So that- yep. And it's on Tideline too. Okay, so for anyone listening on the radio, it's Lonnie, L-O-N-I dot Rini. R-E-N-E, Renee, dot Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R at gmail.com. So L-O-N-I dot R-E-N-E dot T-A-Y-L-O-R at gmail.com. Thanks, Lonnie, for sharing so publicly that. Uh, Christine. Um, well, I had a question. I was just waiting for the right time, but given what Lonnie's just said, um, I haven't been part of any of the conversations to do with... Um, community gardening and food, food resilience, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I'm, I'm wondering if for those that are on the chat and those are listening, um, either Tamara and or Lonnie could say a little bit about what has been brainstormed in terms of community gardening. Um, and if there have been locations that have been identified, I know that it's a, it's a complex thing. I realize that, but I am curious as to where the conversations have been going in terms of community gardening. Yeah, I can speak to that. So uh, we've had some just natural things happening without any, you know, uh, official initiation. The Gorge Harbor offered up a large garden that's been going unkept for a while. And it's my understanding that that is just facilitating itself and there's enthusiastic people that have gotten their hands dirty and are starting to generate gardens there. Um, the co-op uh, in Manson's is also uh, just developed a bunch of beds. Garrett, Garrett Barchart has uh, been heading that. And he's a take 
taken a really um, innovative approach that Tamara had actually suggested in some uh, uh, large scale beds of all, you know, uh, one crop to just more efficiently grow the food in certain areas of the garden. So they are doing that. They have a shared potato bed. I think they have a shared tomato bed and things like that. Um, and those community garden plots have all been allocated. But if you are still looking for a community garden space and you haven't been able to uh, get in on either of those opportunities, there is a third opportunity happening. Um, I'm not stating publicly where it is, but it is in the Smelt Bay, Nansen's Landing area. And if people are interested still in getting a community garden plot for themselves or their family, please reach out to me and I can help coordinate that as well. So right now that's what we know of. And it, if there's anything you can add tomorrow, if you know of anything else. Absolutely, yeah, you hit them all. Um, anything that either of you want to say, perhaps more Lonnie, about the partnering up, like, uh, you know, maybe I've planted more than I know how to really care for, or maybe I've got some extra dirt and a neighbor could come over and work with me or help me harvest or have a spot. Is, is there any kind of gardener, aspiring gardener partnering possibility? I know maybe through the needs and offers platform that you were hoping to develop. Is that, is there, is there anything other than just throwing something out on Tideline? So that's a really excellent question. And this is a great platform to actually uh, advertise that needs and offers platform. We've been trying to test it out. I tried to set kind of an initiative of a tool drive, a garden tool drive on Tideline is where I advertised it, trying to uh, bring the conversation into a needs and offers format, which would be a much easier way for people to connect and communicate, especially on very specific topics like gardening. Uh, so that exists and there are links to it on Tideline. And if you're interested in looking at that, I can also send you a link if you email me. Um, so that is that's definitely something we're trying to sort out the best way to do. I will say um, the, the, there is a garden club that is joint Quadra and Cortez Island Garden Club, and I'm a member of it, and there's a Facebook group, and it has been an incredibly uh, abundant source of, of support, resources. People are taking pictures of plants, trying to figure out what they are, and other people are responding. And there's a lot of mentorship, digital, uh, virtual mentorship going on there. So I would highly recommend anyone on Facebook to get in with those groups. But I will say that it's difficult with the, the in-person meeting and the, the, the on Cortez Island kind of isolating those needs with that specific platform. So that's why the needs and offers platform would be a really great place to start a community and start that conversation. Um, so if you're interested in that, please follow the links on Tideline or reach out to me and I can show you where that's at. And hopefully we can bolster the community within that digital format and be able to and make where would, like that. Where would I go on Tideline to find that link? And I see Adam has just joined us. I don't know if Adam, you want to speak to this. Is there a, an easy link or how can people connect up this way? Sure. So, um, yeah, sorry, I wasn't at most of this meeting, but just, arrived a couple moments ago, um, but I'm glad there are, we're, CETA is well represented here. 
Um, so, but on this topic, we are sort of between two platforms at the moment. We were testing this, the, the discourse forum, but that has the use of it has gone down over the last few weeks. So, um, and the, the trial version of hosting for it that we were on has, is expiring. So we're sort of at the point of deciding whether to continue with the, that forum, but we're also working on something that will specifically be for needs and offers and job uh, and addressing also the, the evident need for a job board on Cortez at the moment. Um, so actually Aton and I are working on testing out uh, possibilities for how this would be built. Um, Aton's giving a double thumbs up for those on the radio not seeing the visual. Um, yeah, so so stay tuned is the answer to that for the for the the more competent platform for that particular uh, functionality. So I gather when when that's decided, there would be a, an announcement at CortezIsland.com and on your CETA website and yes, the... yeah, yeah, right. and it will be a few weeks at least before that's ready to roll. We're trying to do it in a in a way that that will give us a solid foundation for making it a useful tool for the community. Okay, so in the immediate, if I have an extra garden bed, I'm not gardening, just throw it up on Tideline, that sounds like. I would say that would be the most effective okay. approach at the moment. Or perhaps get in touch with Lonnie, you might have some pairing capacity. Yes, and also I'll just mention there are email lists that are somewhat active for certain areas of the island. So if you go to cortezhelps.com, there are things listed there that you can you can use if there are if there's a list if there's an email list for your neighborhood i know there's one for smelt bay that's that's had some good good use for things like distributing bread and chocolate and um <laughs> yeah Aton spoke a bit to that last week okay good uh, so for those who are listening to the radio, I'm supposed to have done at uh, the bottom of the hour, I think, Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM on your community dial. Uh, so we've got um, another 15 or 20 minutes here. We can certainly wrap up early if, if uh, that is the desire. But are there any other questions? Again, if you're listening on the radio, you can phone in 935-0200 with any questions or thoughts or contributions. Any other uh, thoughts? I see something from Cease here. Welcome Cease. There we go. Hi, uh, yeah, I just wanted to uh, inquire. I've, I've gotten into this conversation um, late, so perhaps this is already underway, but um, as an alternative, not an alternative, an, an additional approach to producing food. I'm thinking in terms of the things that most of us can't grow as an individual, like grain um, and the, also oils. Um, and I know that one model I'm familiar with, or uh, I've heard about to some degree, is if you've got a professional farmer who knows what they're doing. So let's say it's Adam or Henry or somebody like or that. Tamara. Or Tamara, uh, with some space and, and the knowledge and the willingness. They might say, okay, I've got this many acres, I can produce this, this crop, um, but it's a big risk. And a model that I know has worked in other places is where um, they might say, to do this, I would need 5,000 bucks. 
whatever. So then that gets put out to the community and people can put however many dollars towards that that they wish, whatever fits for their budget, um, until that pot is full. At that point, the farmers prepaid. So they're not taking a risk. Okay, the, the, those individuals of us that have put in our hundred bucks are taking the risk, but we're risking it with somebody that's a neighbor that we know and trust, and we're willing to just get what we get. And in that way, a crop can be produced that, that none of us as individuals have the space uh, or the skill to deal with, or perhaps the equipment, because I know that depending on the grain and everything, there's issues for seeding and harvesting and threshing and pressing oils and things like that, that you would want to be done in a central, a central way. And, and, and so the farmer would simply take that on as their own project and it would not require all of the individual people to commit to any amount of time or anything else. Their commitment would be their prepayment. So it's very straightforward and very clear and it's a safe thing uh, for the farmer. So I don't know if that's been discussed and obviously that wouldn't be for this year. It would take some, some thinking ahead and it would be more appropriate for next season. So oils or grains, anyone want to take a stab at that? I just wanted to ask, so the people who put the money in would get a uh, proportion of the harvest after? How would that work on the back end? Well, the, the idea would be, um, I mean, to use that hypothetical target of $5,000, um, if you put in your 100 bucks, it would, it would give you your proportionate share. So depending on how many socks or bushels or pounds or whatever came off of, of that crop, it would, your share would be in direct proportion to the number of dollars that you put in relative to the total. So, yeah, I think that there's a lot of interesting thoughts and dialogues around that. I mean, we have tried to grow different crops for oil. I mean, because that's one of the main missing ones if you're not getting oolican oil or salmon oil. Um, we did try to grow sunflowers one year. And if we just if we get the right year and you get that September sun, um, things can ripen. That year we grew a ton of sunflowers and we didn't get that sun. So they all just molded. Um, and same with the, with the wheat, we've trialed wheat, we've trialed quinoa, we've trialed a bunch of different things that just, we don't quite have the, the season here for it, nor the space. Like there's a reason why the prairies are really great for grains. Um, one of the things that we did grow and that grew in crazy abundance um, was amaranth. Um, so like when we actually start to look towards um, what the crops are that are specific to the Pacific Northwest that grow really well. Um, we definitely found that amaranth was a hit. Do we all eat amaranth? Do we all know what to do with amaranth? Again, that, that comes back down to that educational piece. So um, we're definitely interested in more collective growing endeavors for sure. Um, when it speaks to prices, like we have a 1950s Massey Ferguson tractor that um, could potentially be on her last leg. So, um, you know, to break new soil, uh, to break new field into, uh, you know, land that we can actually cultivate could very well kill our ancient machinery. So we have to be really careful about that um, and biting off more than we can chew. But we're definitely interested in growing things in larger 
uh, capacity for the coming years. And I love the concept of taking the risk with the farmer because it is, it's a huge risk. And uh, when we speak to low, when we speak to low wages, we're definitely well below the poverty line uh, in terms of an hourly wage being a farmer. So the more people that jump in and assist and we really take a look at that concept of food security and how we can support one another in the, in that capacity, that sounds like a great one. But yeah, the amaranth is the one that I think we felt did the best. I mean, and Adam would attest to it. He got a huge uh, harvest off of a small area and uh, we saved a lot for seed this past year. Well, given the, um, the really positive uptake on your guild offering, uh, there might be really fertile ground, if you will, in the social sphere to put out other offerings like that, like, um, you know, CSA on specific crops for next year. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely loved the potato co-op when we did it and um, we'd be definitely interested in doing it again down the road for sure. And uh, every conversation I've had with you, I think in the last few months, you've talked about your old tractor. And so I just want to put it out that, you know, <laughs> if there's anybody out there that wants to buy Linnea a new tractor or a mechanic that wants to come and help Linnea out, it sounds like those are two really high priority pieces. You. Well, you know, you think about an integral workhorse, like a workhorse on the farm and the yeah. tractor is, and it, she does a great job. Don't get me wrong. We just reinvested a bunch of money into her and we want to keep her going. But probably the hardest thing for a tractor is breaking new soil. Uh -huh. So uh, we have to sort of reserve her for what we know we can do and do really well. And, you know, if we are in a huge supply, like if we're looking at a break in supply and we're, it's time to get down and dirty and start to grow a lot of food for Cortez Island, like we're down to having a discussion. Absolutely. Great. Thank you so much. Anyone else want to chime in at this time? I just want to just add and speak to um, the, the food security coordinator position that we're looking at would really be able to be that person that is, is, uh, is able to take those kinds of ideas and uh, advocate for farmers or new entrepreneurs, growers looking for farms that would be interested in taking on projects like that. And we're in a really interesting place right now. Linnea does so much and they're amazing and they have successful models that we can maybe apply to other farms on the island. Um, there's, there's new farms, there's, there's old farms that have been acquired by new owners and there's some fresh energy going into very old farms as well here. So there's definitely an opportunity for us to expand those ideas into a variety of sectors on the island. So could I ask you to be really bold? And what would it take to make that happen? Because there are people here who are passionate about resilience and have deep pockets and might just say, yeah, let's do that. What would it take? It, at this point, we need the funding to staff someone to take this on. How much? I have a, a proposal that I'm happy to share privately with any investors that are interested in looking at that, especially if they want to see the real details and the numbers. Okay. But we're looking at, I mean, numbers aside, I don't know your numbers, but we're looking at somebody's decent wage for a couple of years, right? Plus yes. One, one individual plus some startup funds and yeah. uh, the, the startup funds could, you know, anything helps because part of the role is to find funding and also create programs and systems that 
are self-sustaining and find their own funding basically over time. So yeah, yeah. just need to get and, started. And I would take that even a, you know, a step further. I've had these flashes of if the community could have six full-time coordinators or 10 part-time coordinators in all kinds of sectors on the islands, we could move mountains. It is really the uh, paid dedicated time for people to turn the phenomenal plethora of ideas that this community has into action. Um, and I would, I would love to somehow get us to that point, both through the community foundation and through the investment co-op of getting some personnel really on the ground to make you know, so many of the recommendations that come out of all of these planning processes happen. And I really do believe, however um, naively, that if we can collectively really get clear on what our priorities are, that those funds will rise to meet the challenge, both on island as well as this island is increasingly becoming a school that people far beyond here are interested in, especially in these times where community and local and resilience is, is on everybody's minds um, all over the world. Yeah. I would love to connect with one of the farmers or more after about the uh, social aspect gain to the community on uh, growing its own farm, on the nutritional value, even though it would be more expensive, but the nutritional value you get from having uh, food grown locally, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that, um, well, all the benefits. I want to talk about those things. <laughs> okay, there's more conversations to be had. I do acknowledge that we've not talked at all about the sea. Um, and that you are both primarily dirt focused, uh, but there is, I mean, the people that lived here before those of us who have skin the color of us on this call ate primarily or largely from the ocean. And uh, certainly people have spoken over the years about whether there wouldn't be some value in having some kind of community co-op that started owning some of the shellfish production here. And, and there's a lot happening with the changing oceans and acidification and pathogens and temperature warming. And maybe we're looking more back to clam gardens. Perhaps those are less vulnerable. We don't have time to get into that whole conversation, but I just want to acknowledge that's a huge missing piece here um, and very much part of the food security uh, landscape on Cortez. Um, I guess I would like to ask the two of you to, to end. We just have a few more minutes left to end on is it is it possible to be food secure on the island what would that take um is that even something we should be aspiring to that that assumes kind of this drawbridge mentality of not being connected to the larger world which perhaps isn't where we want to be going but what, what would it take to be much more self-reliant and resilient in our food needs um assuming that we still are connected in a trading capacity, at least regionally, in a, in a meaningful way. What should we do about importing less bananas from God knows where? What would it take? Well, I think that's a, that's a big sort of paradigm shift, isn't it? We've gone from um, having whatever we want, whenever we want. Um, if, we're, if we're truly looking at being food secure, it's making do with what we have. And I don't think that that's something we as a culture have typically done. Um, Adam always talks about reduce, reuse, recycle. We, we kind of skip the first one, that reduce. Like if we could just reduce a little bit of our consumption, 
um, that could make a big difference. So I think like when I, when I think about food security and I think about resiliency, I'm not just thinking about Cortez Island. Like I have a large network of farmers that I communicate with and I look for people that are similar in my sort of capacity for growing food. And I know that they put the right energy in and they're doing things in the right way. Uh, I don't feel like I have to do it all anymore. Maybe there was a time in my 20s where I did, but um, now for me, resiliency is about finding the people that um, produce in the same way that I do uh, to get to the most nutritional value out of the food that I'm consuming. Um, you know, in terms of food security on Cortez Island, I think that uh, there was a time where we were a lot more food secure, where food actually left the island. We produced more than what we could do here. Um, but I feel like we have a huge demand for what we produce on the farm with the beef, with chicken, with vegetables. Um, and there's ways that we could really encourage uh, other people to pick up some of the other pieces. So I love the collaborative approach that we're taking right now, that we're working as a community, that we're talking amongst each other, we're identifying gaps. Um, we're really encouraging us to look at our neighbors and really support one another. I feel like this is a, this is a really great uh, moment in time to be having these dialogues. Um, so yeah, food security, sharing knowledge, um, sharing seed, uh, sharing bounty, all feels like that's a step in the right direction. Thank you, Tamara. And the, the rest of us are more slowly waking up to your life's work. So thank you for your life's work. What <laughs> <laughs> all the cool kids have been doing all this time. <laughs> Lonnie, anything you want to jump in on that? Uh, everything that Tamara just said, I'm, I'm totally feeling the same. Uh, I will note that I've done some research on food security indicators for Cortez Islands, some things that we could look at from a really holistic approach, which is what the CED model is for looking at uh, economic health on the island. And the indicators that I've determined so far are around the food bank usage, um, locally produced food, and agricultural and food industry employment equitability. Um, these are things that are very difficult to determine without a lot of uh, participation in surveys or uh, par participation in interviews and things like that to collect that kind of data. But I have been trying to get at least somewhat of a sense. And uh, the co-op specifically has been really helpful in producing numbers around how much uh, food they are selling that is locally sourced uh, versus how much they are having to get off island and we're focused on crops that are growable on Cortez specifically and there's very few crops grown on Cortez that uh, they don't still have to find some off island sources for even during June, July and August. Um, and I have numbers that I can share on that. The co-op has been incredible and transparent and really helpful in that process. And I think they're a good model to look at for that because that's where a lot of people go to find local produce um, if they're not, if, if, you know, the farmer's markets aren't open. So um, if that's something people want to understand better, I would love their help and participation in gathering those indicators, that knowledge.
Great, thank you. There's something going on in the chat that I feel like I'm missing pieces of. Um, Max, you're on the board of Friends of Cortez Island and you're saying that FOCI is working on some piece of this. Did you want to speak briefly to this? Yeah, sure, I would be happy to. Um, it's still in development and I'm not super prepared to cover all the thoughts involved, but just briefly what we've been what we've been developing over the past couple of weeks is a combination of um, ecosystem conservation, wild harvesting, and sort of sensitive sustainable harvesting strategy and education. So recognizing just as you said that, people from this place uh, for time immemorial and from every place around the world for the vast, vast majority of human history have relied on, relied exclusively on the place that they live for their sustenance and material needs. And I think that we could all uh, do well to spend a little bit more time and energy connecting with that. And the, the, the spin-off benefits from that in terms of a a sustainability conservation perspective are, are numerous, of course. Um, and also, I'm really excited about just the, the resilience potential of relying on natural systems um, that exist here so well um, feels so much more secure to me than a lot of the agricultural systems that might be a little bit more um, sensitive to some of the changes or some of the resource limitations that we could be facing. Um, so yeah, um, and, and we also are recognizing that we've had some food security stuff in our mandate for a while and that we've worked on, but maybe a place that we can really focus is, is on, on the wild and our relationship with it. So we're, yeah, developing some, some programming around there. And also one thing I'll just add is is the the sort of work that that has been begun over the last decade or so in reconciliation and decolonization um, really needs to continue. And as I have been throwing myself into thinking about wild food and wild food systems, of course, that, that work comes to the fore. And so I think that there's a great opportunity for that to be uh, a leverage point for people to face their own colonization, both internally and mentally, and, and as well as the outward expressions of that. So a lot Great. of good things happening there. Thank you, Max. And perhaps um, we can pick up this thread a little bit more next week. I would really invite, it's six o'clock, so we're wrapping up, but I really would like to invite your thoughts about um, how to use this time in, in the weeks to come. I want to acknowledge that some of you have suggested that we uh, move into more sort of a direct, direct democracy participatory, you know, building governance. And I see that that could well come over the months to come in this space. But I think really what we're doing right now is sharing what all of the nonprofits are up to right now is uh, really empowering for the community to know about and for us to be sharing with each other and, and linking up resources. So uh, next week, Tuesday the 12th, in the morning, I will have had the first conversation with all of the nonprofits around the grant and aid. So I'm really looking forward to reporting out to you a little bit of what came out of that. Um, but if you um, are with an organization that uh, 
has a proposal that's going into that process and you would like to perhaps have uh, this discussion, this space next week used for that particular topic uh, that would complement food security, I'd really welcome your thoughts on that. And just great gratitude for your continued uh, participation in these calls, uh, for listening on the radio at Cortez Community Radio 89.5 FM, uh, for listening afterwards. I know lots of people link to uh, Roy and thank you for all your coverage and Cortez Currents of, of this work. Um, and I know that Esther puts the links up to these audio afterwards. So there's a lot more people that are paying attention than the few of us that are dedicated to showing up on Tuesday at 4.30. So thank you so very much. And um, we will see you next week. Blessings to you all. Thank you, Aton, for all the techie support. So I think uh, I think we're off the radio now. If anyone wanted to say anything to anyone else, goodbye. <laughs> it was great. Thanks, Lonnie. Thanks, Tamara. Bye, everybody. Bye. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thank you, Aton. Thanks, Roy, for your continuous.